because we're, we're going to be looking this morning at a passage of Scripture that pertains to our world today. We're going to be in the book of First Peter, and we are just about done with the book of First Peter. Um, and uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, there are Bibles in the racks in front of you, and uh, you can grab them. The page number is in the bulletin. We're going to be looking at the passage of Scripture that we hit on this morning, uh, we read this morning, um, but we're gonna we're gonna re-explore it. We're gonna think about it, um, and if if we're lucky, you know, uh, somebody will get to throw me on the ground. We'll see. Depends on the illustration. Christie's like me, me. All right. First Peter chapter four. First uh, Peter chapter five. Sorry, chapter five. First Peter chapter five and verse six. The Apostle Peter, he's been talking to the shepherds, to the elders, to the pastors of the church. And you know, can I, can I just take a, a I want a passage, I'm going to come over here for a second. I leave my sermon right there. If there's one group of people in the church, and, and I say this knowing that this may come back on me, but if there's one group of people in the church that should be leading the church, and I mean capital C, not just our local congregation, but the church, all believers across the world, if there's one group of people that should be leading that group to unity, it should be the leaders, the elders, the shepherds. And it's sad that the church is one of the most divided and fragmented groups of people in the world because the leaders all too often are more interested in building their own personal empire than seeing the cause of Christ exalted. And unfortunately, they teach that in people's hearts and they lead people in that way so that we all know that there's a whole bunch of Christians out there who are right and everybody else is wrong and if you were right, you'd be like me. And it's a shame that that exists in the church. Because think of the power, think of the power of the Holy Spirit at work if all Christians, I mean, those who name the name of Christ and we don't even know how many there are in the world could be united in one purpose and one cause. Um, and instead, we're often fragmented and distracted. And Anyway, all right, back into the sermon. Although that kind of ties into it. He's dealing with the leaders, and he says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He begins with a statement that I think is very easy to misunderstand. He says, humble yourself. And when we often bring up the topic of humbling ourselves and humility, we think of humility in relationship to other people rather than in relationship to God. Oh, he's such a humble person. You know, he's so quiet and he never does anything. And, you know, oh, the humility. The reality of humility is humility is not about my, my appearance and activity before other people, although that, that is a manifestation of humility. Humility is about my relationship to God. 
And the Apostle Peter defines humility by the statement of what we should be under. He says, I get a bee, bug flying in my face. Uh, he doesn't say that. Um, the, the, uh, he says, humble yourself where? All right? Humble yourself before God, right? He says, humble yourselves therefore, not before, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Now, in the ancient world, uh, the mighty hand was the right hand. How many of you have ever seen that Skittles commercial where they all have big biceps on their right arm because they arm wrestle? Have you never seen that commercial? Some of you have seen it. It's the strangest, strangest commercial. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but in ancient cultures, your right hand, which was your sword hand, was your mighty hand. That was your strong hand. He's using, he's using a military metaphor here, the, under the mighty hand of God. But, but the image is humbling myself not under other people, but humbling myself first and foremost under the command, direction, and guidance of God. And one of, the, one of the amazing things about human beings is our ability to believe one thing and do another thing. Um, our ability to, not, to, to submit part of ourselves, but not all of ourselves. To, to give um, complete, complete and, I, and I, this is not a criticism, this is just human nature, this is what we do. We give complete credence and complete devotion to ideas that are in conflict with our actions. And, and somebody, I said that to somebody this week, and they said, yeah, we're a bunch of pagans. I said, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're a bunch of pagans, I'm just saying we're people. Human beings, from the beginning of time, human beings have had the ability to say, yes, I agree with God on this one point, and I'm going to do my own thing on this point. And, and as we've explored First Peter, we've seen that Peter uses a lot of military metaphors and talks about formations of military units because the reality is you can't do that in a military formation. You can't say, yes, I agree, but then do your own thing. All right? Movies notwithstanding, one guy does not win wars. It's always an army fighting together. It's always soldiers working together. Sylvester Stallone may be the most amazing fake fighter in the world, but he still doesn't do things by himself. All right. Even the Expendables, he's got buddies. All right. Um, but the but the reality is the reality is we often do this. And so the Apostle Peter says the number one thing we have to be, we're we're looking at in this passage. The very first thing he says: humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He says so. A, we're under it. So we're under control. We're under His dominion. And secondly, what we are under is the strong arm, the mighty hand, the power of God, the Lord of hosts, all right? Adonai Shavuot, um, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. That is his, his title in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Joshua. Um, he is the commander, and we are under his authority. So Peter says, right off the bat, he says, you want to you be, be a good leader, you want to do those things, you submit yourself under the authority of God, and you line up what you do with what you believe. Because submission is not, and this is worth noting, submission is not a belief, it is an action. Humility is not a belief, it is an act, it is something we do, it is not something we believe. Yes, I believe I am humble. 
I am the humblest person I have ever met. I am proud of my humility. All right? No, it's not a belief. It is an action. It is something we do. We willingly enter into a relationship with God in which all that we desire and love is suborned to his desire and love. And that's a lot harder than it sounds, doesn't it? Don't we all struggle with that? And so we need that reminder every once in a while to humble ourselves, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. But he says, so that at the proper time, he might exalt you. He says, God's not going to forget you. God doesn't leave you groveling in the dirt. Now remember again, who is writing this sentence? The apostle Simon Peter. And when the scriptures describe Simon Peter, when he denied Christ, he went out and wept bitterly. He was broken. He was shattered. He had betrayed his best friend. He had broken every promise he had ever made to Jesus. And Jesus was a close, intimate friend. Jesus lived in Peter's house. They they were together 24-7, 365 days for at least three years. They were always together. And so he he, 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 he betrayed Jesus and he wept bitterly. And you know what? The amazing thing about that is Jesus knew that was coming and already had plans to exalt him. Christ doesn't leave us in the, the dirt. He always, he always brings us up. But we've got to humble ourselves before him for him to do that. Cast all your anxieties, your cares on him because he cares for you. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. So, now get the image of what, he, what he's saying here, okay? So, first of all, we're, we're humbling ourselves. So, we're lowering ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the right hand of God. And then, in that position, at the right time, he is going to exalt us to stand. That's what all exalt means. It doesn't mean he's going to... It doesn't mean you're going to get to heaven and God is going to go, Oh, Greg, you guys have got to meet Greg. Greg, Greg, meet Greg. Greg is, a, that's not the kind of exalting we're talking about. We're rather talking about standing up. Although that would be cool. I mean, I'm not saying, I would be, I just be standing, I'm with Greg. <laughs> Jesus' buddy, I, I'm with him. Uh, but but, the, but the, the situation is, is he lifts you up and says, so under the mighty hand of God, we humble ourselves before him, we submit to his authority, he exalts us, he makes us stand up, and then he says, and once you've stood up, just be sober-minded and watchful. He says, so we humble ourselves before God. We, we come under his authority. He stands us up. We're going to walk with Christ. He says, now, be sober-minded and watchful. So we're not at the victory stage here. We're at the battle stage. We've humbled ourselves. We've come under the mighty hand of God. He's exalted us. Now we're entering into combat. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. What does those mean? It means be clear-minded and be watchful. Be alert, be aware of what's going on. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, most of the time when people read this passage and they teach this passage, they're going to use this and they're going to say, this is the devil, capital D, the evil one, uh, the deceiver, uh, the the accuser of the saints, uh, the that old serpent, John calls him in one of the most colorful phrases in the Old Testament, the devil, that old serpent, he calls him. Um, that old serpent, uh, the dragon, whatever you want to call him, all right, the, the, the deceiver, Satan, Lucifer, he's got a, a billion titles. 
But you'll notice that the translators in this translation, pretty much every translation I know, they use a lowercase d, all right? Um, because I'm not sure that's what Peter's talking about. I'm not sure Peter is talking about the evil one, capital E, all right, capital O. Um, but rather, uh, the word devil, the Greek word diabolos, it means, it means to, to throw across or throw through the accuser. The accuser. Now let me ask you a question. All you great Bible scholars have been here for all 21 weeks of this. Where did Simon Peter live when he wrote this letter? What city did he live in? No, this is at the end of Peter's life, Rome. And Nero is the emperor of Rome. And Nero is insane. And Nero enjoys feeding Christians to lions. He enjoys other things, but he enjoys feeding Christians to lions. Now, Nero apparently was also kind of a self-styled poet. His poems generally took about four and a half hours to read. So I imagine you got a choice. Poetry? Or lion. The Christians took the lions. All right. Um, his poetry was so bad, by the way, one of his generals fell asleep while he was reading poetry and he had the guy exiled. Um, because how dare you fall asleep toward my majestic poetry. And I just picture Vespasian was his name. He later became an emperor. Looking at his son's Titus, son's Titus and Domitian, he went, if I had known it would have gotten me out of here sooner, I would have fallen asleep faster. All right. But, but uh, Nero's Rome was a terrible, terrible place. Think Cold War Russia. People were waiting to accuse you of being a Christian. And this was not an uncommon thing in Rome. Um, in Rome, uh, during the, especially during the Republic, but this existed during the Empire as well, they had these lists that they would post in public of people that were suspected of doing things that were un disloyal. And if you could come forward and say, oh, I saw this person's name on a list and I saw him do such and such, well, then the emperor could have you killed. Because it was just, it was the ultimate case of guilty before proven guilty. All right? I mean, it was like, hey, if, do you know anything bad about this guy? Oh, yeah, I know tons of st bad stuff about that guy. And disappear. It was a reign of terror. And as Nero is engaging in this reign of terror, there are people walking around looking to accuse Christians of disloyalty, looking to accuse Christians of doing all kinds of bizarre things. Christians were accused of being cannibals because of the Lord's table. They were accused of incest because they called each other brother and sister, including their husbands and wives. They, they were accused of all kinds of bizarre... They were accused... This is my favorite. They were accused of atheism all right, because they didn't believe in the Roman gods which none of the Romans believed in either. All right? But there, there were all these things that were going on. So all you needed was an accusation. All you needed was a diabolos. All you needed was an accuser. And he says the accusers are looking around and they're wandering around and they're waiting for something to accuse you of so that you can be condemned, so you can be thrown to the lions. This is the reality of our lives. He says that, by the way. He says this is a suffering that's common... For all your brotherhood. This isn't like you're alone in this. So this extraordinary thing that's going on. And, and we, we realize that the, this, is, this is in the back of his head. And I think there's, there's a lot of looking at that. And then seeing the, the real spiritual warfare that's going on. So what does he say about that situation? He says this. Resist him. Verse 9. Now. 
my translation says firm in your faith, but the, the word is actually strengthened in standing, strong enough to stand. That's the, the Greek word that's here. In fact, in the Gospels, there's a description of Jesus, he, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, there's a description of Peter healing a man, a lame man, and the, the verb form of this word appears when it says that his, his ankles were strengthened, that he could stand. Right, this, that's what this is. This is the ability to stand. He says, resist him, stand firm. Now, I grew up, in, and you guys know this, I grew up going to revival meetings for entertainment. That was what we did because I was a pastor's kid, and we just needed to do something on the days we didn't have church meetings, which was most days. Um, and so we used to go to these meetings, and we would see all kinds of crazy stuff. I've told you guys about the people throwing handkerchiefs in the air and a little old lady making rounds around the Wesleyan church in the back hills of uh, Virginia, and she, would, she was lapping the church service, and then she would stop and play the piano, and then she'd take off. During the sermon, I mean, this is what was going on um you know we, i have seen all kinds of weird crazy wacky things going on in the name of christ i've seen people conduct electricity through themselves i've seen people take up snakes i've seen the whole the whole gamut of weird all right um and there's there's a lot of there's some of the stuff that goes on and people will say well you know what you know when you resist the devil this is how you have to resist the devil you just get in his face you gotta say back off devil i'm jesus's You know what happens when you try to resist the devil that way? He's going to smack you upside the head. He's more powerful than we are. And when we decide that we're going to resist the devil on our own ability and our own merit, all right, because I'm special, Satan loves a challenge. So what does he say about resisting the devil? How should we resist the devil? Is our, is our voice of resisting the devil, is that us just getting and saying, I cast out the devil from this place? I had somebody tell me that they were going to exercise my house because there were demons in my house. And I'm like, okay, why not? And they're anointing my house with holy water and doing all kinds of stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, but that, that's not what he's talking about when he says resist the devil. What does he mean by resist the devil? He describes what it means to resist the devil in the very next statement. What does he say? Right? Let's all read it together. Resist him, verse 9, firm in your faith. Standing in your faith. Now, here's the deal. Um... I, and I, I need a volunteer. Anybody? Christy? Want to help me? Come on up. No, no. You get to throw me around. All right. So here's the deal. So Christy, Christy weighs about 100 pounds. All right. And she's wearing heels, so she looks a lot taller than she really is. I weigh 200 pounds. All right. So I easily, I easily have quite a bit of weight on you. All right, um, and so the question is, can Christy push me backwards? All right, so so here's the deal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stand like this, Christy, and the first thing I want you to do is I want you to try. I got to remember to stand like a normal human being. Mo most normal human beings, by the way, how do we usually stand when somebody says stand strong? We usually stand our feet about shoulder width apart like this. We go. <clears throat> 
I'm not going to move. So I'm going to do the same thing. All right, so here's what I want you to do, Christy. First thing I want you to do, I want you to think about uh, how do you get me to move backwards? All right, and then try to move me backwards. <laughs> Just do it. No, you can't kick me. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got to try to push me. Push me somehow to push me backwards. So push me. All right. Now, I was standing as strong as I possibly could to keep her from pushing me. Now, I want to show you a trick to really push somebody backwards. All right. So I got to put this in my pocket so I don't fall on it. All right. So here's what I want you to do. Now, this now. This is, this is not something you do to people that don't know how to take this fall, okay? So I'm going to warn you ahead, don't do this at home. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand, and I want you to put this part of your hand on my forehead like this. And I want you to tilt my head backwards and then drop like that. All right? So just like this. Just like that. Okay? So you're going to stand next to me right here. Actually, stand on this side so that they can see me fall. All right, so you're going to put... Oh, well, do it the other hand. All right. Go ahead. So you're going to put that on there. I'm standing firm. Now push back and down. No, that's, I, I fall 150,000 times a week. That's okay. Um, now, what, she's di- what she did, now I want, I want you to do it really slowly. I want you guys to watch my spine. All right, so come over here so you can do it right-handed. I'm big and strong, right? So I'm stable. So she puts her hand on my, on my forehead. So far, I'm okay. But as soon as she tilts my neck back and then drops, the reality is that my spine does this. And as soon as the top of my spine passes the back of my spine, I cannot stand up. She does not have to use a lot of effort to knock me down. Now I'm going to change my position. <laughs> All right, same thing. What changed about the way that I worked? All right. What changed about my stance? This is thank you, Christy. And give her Now, we don't have to get into the, the mechanics of this, but this is called San Shin. This, this position is a, Jap- is a Chinese fighting position, and it's incredibly, incredibly stable. Because what happens with your body when you stand like a normal human being, believe it or not, at that moment as you're standing, your entire brain and body is processing everything that's happening about you to keep you vertical. Your ears, your inner ears are working on balance. All right, your, um, your inner ears are working on balance. The muscles in your feet, as you are standing, are constantly adjusting to keep you stable. If you want to feel that, all you have to do is try to stand on one foot. I'll do the Jethro Tull. Um, the, the, uh, the, that's a joke that only applies to musicians and people over 40. Um, but, but the reality is, if you stand on one foot, you can feel your foot adjusting, right? You can feel your foot moving. Whether you realize it or not, your, foot is do, your feet are doing that the entire time you're standing. And your brain has created... How many of you have ever tried to stand something on two legs? You know how hard it is, right? Your brain has created a third position, either behind or in front of you. Call it, we call it a triangulation point. That, that your brain has created a third uh, stabilizer 
mentally, it is creating that, that stabilization to keep you stable. This is why when you have back pain, your body starts to bend and tweak because your body is trying to keep that triangulation point square. And your body actually damages itself trying to balance itself. Um, in martial arts, one of the things that we do in martial arts is we discover how to take that triangulation point. And this that she did to me, that steals the triangulation point. It slides it underneath, and Doc is shaking his head because he knows how a human body balances. She, he, she slides that triangulation point underneath me, slips it underneath my feet, and I fall down. Um, great martial arts are not about kicking and killing. Great martial arts are about balance and structure. It's really an extraordinary study. Um, anyway, when I get into Sanshin, what happens is my triangulation point is underneath my feet. I can't do it in shoes. These are rubber-soled shoes. I actually tried it this morning, trying to get into position, and all I did was knock myself over. Um, but the, the, uh, that's why martial arts, we do it barefoot. I don't know if you know that's why they do it barefoot. It's so that you can find balance. Um, but the reality is, the reality is in the, that when we're looking at resisting the devil, all too often we resist the devil by getting into what we think is a good position and locking ourselves down and saying... All right, devil. And it doesn't matter whether it's an accusation. It doesn't matter if it's a real supernatural situation or not. The, the reality is what the Apostle Peter says that we resist the devil is by standing firm in what? In our faith. See, under the hand of God, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt us, being sober-minded and, sober and watchful, so that we are in a spiritual sanshin. We are in a, a spiritually stable position so that when the forces of the world and when the forces of Satan come against us, rather than being pushed backwards or falling down or caving to those forces, we are able to stand on what we excuse me, believe. We know what we believe and we know why we believe it and so we don't move. And Christianity, right now, and I'm going to upset and alienate some people, I, and I don't apologize for that. All right, I used to apologize for it, but I'm not going to. Our culture pushes against Christianity and so few Christians actually know why they believe what they believe about certain hot topics that they allow our culture and our world and the accusers to push us around. Now, in the 1800s, it was about science. Charles Darwin came out with The Origin of Species, and he presented some really solid science. Now, some of Darwin's science is completely bogus, but some of it was solid observation, quantifiable quantif uh, evidence, and Christians didn't know how to deal with it, so we invented all kinds of bizarre, ridiculous theories about God creating the world, and each day was a million years, or, or it, all kinds of lunacy that we invented. The gap theory, God created the world, that world was billions of years old, and God punished it, and wiped it clean and now there's a new world but that world was only created in six days and all kinds of nonsense it makes no sense whatsoever because we did not know why we believed what we believed and we started to get pushed by culture we started to stumble we started to fall and we invented all kinds of stupid stuff and the posture of christianity was like this dealing with the the matter of biological evolution now, Christianity has finally decided we have to deal with this matter rationally and scientifically rather than reactionary. We're dealing, but today, in our culture, we're dealing with another force that is pushing against Christians, and we need to know what we believe and why we believe on that matter. 
Particularly right now, today, in the last 10 years, our culture has slowly but surely and accelerated in the past year to push an agenda about homosexuality and transgender people and how you're a hateful bigot if you disagree with people's decisions to be what they weren't when they were born. And too many Christians don't know why they believe what they believe, and so they try to resist the devil with an attitude of, oh oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And that's what we look like. That's what we look like as we're trying to, we're, we're, we're resisting in our own power and people are walking around. And let me tell you something about this, this subject. And if I upset you, I'm, I'm sorry that I upset you, but I don't apologize for my position on this. Here's the reality when it comes to this subject. Most Christians don't know why they're, uh, why they're heterosexual. They don't know why they're one man, one woman. They don't know why, except that's the way that it's always been and that's the way it should be. And then they have somebody who tells them you should do this, and so they agree with it, and then somebody comes to them and says, well, you're a hateful bigot if you do that. No, no, I'm not a hateful bigot. I don't want to be a hateful bigot. I've got to change the way I think. So I've got to be more accepting. I've got to be more open. I gotta be more of this, I gotta be more of that. There is not a single biblical argument for homosexuality being condoned by God anywhere in the Bible. Now, you don't have to be a Bible authority to read this. You can take any single argument that is made, go search on the web. Find some Christian who's going to advocate for homosexual marriage. They will take Bible verses and they will read them and they will say this advocates this and this advocates this and this advocates this. Just go ahead and read those verses and every single one of them, they have to make the Bible bend around and move and be as malleable as human opinion in order for it to say what they say it says. But if you don't know the Bible and somebody says to you, well, the Bible says David and Jonathan were in a long-term homosexual relationship. Look, here's the line. Jonathan, David says to Jonathan, your love for me is greater than the love of a woman. See? And you as a Christian, you go, oh, I, I never read that before. You see, why do we emphasize the Bible so much in our church? Because without the Bible, we don't know Jesus. And without knowing Jesus, we're not Christians. So we have to study the scriptures. You say, it's boring. I don't care. It's the word of God. And if we're going to resist evil, because let me tell you something. Right now, Christians have been marginalized on this particular issue. This is not an anti-homosexual message in any way, shape, or form. I'm just talking about Christians. The, the, The criticism sits on us. Christians have been marginalized in this issue because we have not known how to respond firmly, resisting the accusation. Well, Christians are hateful. What? Uh, Let me give you a perfect response to that one, by the way. Your Bible is hateful and spiteful and ancient, needs to be updated. Really? Do you know who finances almost all of the charitable work in the world? It's Christians. Of the top ten charitable organizations in the world, seven of them are Christian. All right, now nominally Christian, maybe, but they're still Christian. You say, you say, oh, Christians are are mean spirited and bigoted. We're not the ones flying planes into towers, by the way. So why are we the mean spirited and bigoted ones? We're not the ones marching and screaming and yelling about how everybody has to accept me as who I am. We're not the ones doing that. So why are we the hateful, bigoted ones? The world pushes at us. 
It accuses us. It tries to break us down. And if we do not have a faith that we stand firm in, guess what will happen? We will be devoured by the devil, the lion, the accuser. Now, your faith cannot be because I told you so. Or you told me so. The, one of our problems is we have people saying they're going to stand firm in their faith and their faith doesn't have a biblical basis. Bless God, the Bible says I should have a gun, vote Republican, and hunt deer. Now, I got no problem with guns. I love them. I have them. All right? I have my concealed permit. I, I carry a concealed weapon at times. I do. All right? But the Bible doesn't say I get to have a concealed weapon permit. This Constitution does. It's they're separate. They're two different things. All right. The, this is this is surprising to some Americans. They don't realize the Constitution isn't supposed to be in the back of their Bible. Now, this, is, this is the 67th book of the Bible right here, written by Saint George and Saint Thomas. All right. Um, Saint James Madison. Um, but but the the reality is we 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 sometimes ground our faith, and we think that we can stand in a false faith or someone else's faith rather than the shared faith of the followers of Christ. And so when somebody gets in your face and calls you hateful because you don't agree with an agenda presented by a minority of people who just want to do whatever they feel like doing, they can push at you, although their argument has absolutely no substance. And you start to stumble back. I don't know how to respond to that. Well, let me ask you a question. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that we don't study through biblically matters? Whose fault is it that most churches in America are theologically uh, a mile wide and an inch deep? Whose fault is that? It's not just the leaders. Because you know why leaders change? It's because people say, well, if we did this, then we would appeal to more people and we'd have more people it's, it's a synergistic thing that happens. We as the believers, as the followers of Christ, if we're going to resist the devil, we have got to have a faith that we can stand firm in. And that means we've got to do the hard work of understanding the scriptures, digging in, reading, studying, doing the things that we may not necessarily think are the greatest, most wonderful, fantastic things in the world. We say, no, you know what, I, I really want my faith to be, I would love for my faith to be grounded in, in, entertain, in entertaining music and engaging dress styles and casual association. You know, there's nothing wrong with those things, but there better be a solid biblical faith that found, grounds you and grounds your family because that's what it's going to take to resist the devil. Because let me tell you something, I'm not looking forward to what force is going to come next. What agenda we're going to have to fight in the next 20 years, since the last 20 years was sent, spent on this one, what comes next? We Christians need to be firm in our faith. And if the only accusation that someone can bring against us is that we live like Christ, okay. But if we, don't resist, if we resist the devil based on our own abilities and our own powers, we're going to stumble and fall. So here's your big idea. Here's our big idea. 
find out what Christ stands on. And make sure you stand on it too. Find out what Christ stands on and make sure you stand on it too. And if God, if Christ doesn't have a position on something, just go ahead and not have a position on it. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. If you want to extrapolate a position, that's fine. But find out what Christ stands for. And I got to tell you, there is no way on this particular issue that we're talking about, there is no way on God's green earth, Jesus would have approved of same-sex marriage. There is no possible way. People say, well, you know, I mean, he was a man of his day, and, you know, he didn't... I'm sorry. That's the way it goes. We either follow Jesus or we don't. And Jesus said, whenever he talks about marriage, what's he talk about? Man and woman. That's what he talks about. So I got to go with Jesus. Now, I don't need to be ignorant and stupid about it. I don't need to run around saying, oh, all homosexuals should go to hell. Which, by the way, a preacher, an internet preacher this past year made that declaration. He said, and I quote, this is a direct quote, I hope that Caitlyn Jenner or whatever his, her, or its name is burns in hell for eternity. That was his statement. His name's Steve Anderson. You can check him out on YouTube. He is a wacko and a nut job, and I'm calling him that as a Christian brother. But the reality is we better know why we're standing on something. We better know why we're standing on something. We have lots and lots of things in the world that want us to stand for something, stand for something, stand for something. Um, The church of Jesus Christ should die for the agenda of Jesus Christ And we should devote ourselves to the love and compassion of Christ in every possible situation, even in those situations that require that we resist those who would do what is violation of Christ's teachings. So, I have homosexual friends. They know my position on the matter. You know what I don't do? I don't get in their face every day and tell them that they're going to hell. But they know what my view is. They know what my position is. And because they know what my position is, and they know that it's grounded in the teachings of Christ, and whenever they say, well, Jesus was wrong, I shrug and go, yes, you're wrong, he's right. But because we have that foundation, I can continue to love and care for that person. And you know what? If one of my my homosexual friends were to contract AIDS and be dying in a hospital, you know where I'd be? I'd visit them as often as I could, and I would show the love of Christ to them. Because you know what? They're no worse than me. They're no less in need of Christ than I am, no more in need of Christ than I am. We're all sinners. Um... One of my homosexual friends were to say to me, I'm getting married on this day. What do you think? Okay. That's nice. I'm busy that day. Oh, it's a Tuesday? I'm busy. A Wednesday? I'm busy. I'm not going to be there. Um, I'm not going to support it. I love you. I love you too much to support your lifestyle. You ever had to say that? I love you too much to support your lifestyle. 
is a hard question. And it's not doesn't pertain particularly to this one thing, but rather this is a principle that drives everything that we should do and say and think. That when we resist sin, when we resist the agenda of the devil, when we resist the accusers, it should be because we stand where Jesus stands. Find out where Jesus stands and stand there under the mighty hand of God. Under the mighty hand of God, being sober-minded and watchful. We live in a world that is opposed to the agenda of Christ, and so did Simon Peter. And although it is difficult to live through our world, just remember, so far there are not informants running around the streets looking to throw us to the lions yet. But I hope and pray that if we get to that position, we stand exactly where we stood, stand now. And continue to stand there. Because where we stand is where Christ stands. And we're under his mighty hand. Heavenly Father, as we are um, challenged to be the church in a world that um, is driven by opinion and is driven by all of the various and assorted forces at work. Lord, we pray that we as the church we would find our roots and our foundations in the teachings of Christ. That we would be guided by the apostles to live our lives, to love, to be loved, to devote ourselves to truth, to devote ourselves to speaking the truth in love. That we would bring glory to your name even as we oppose things even as we stand in opposition to things, even as we talk and speak in favor of things that are not popular in the world today, or have ever been popular. May we bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name.